HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Aaron Bresnitz, sitting here with Fernando Curio of Ragtap Ferns Barbecues, Los Angeles, 
Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you. Good. So we are sitting here, uh, Belly of the Beast, about, what, half an hour, hour after service? Yeah, just about. Uh, you're not lying when you say show up at noon. Yeah, <laughs> it's done by, like, within the hour, it's done. It's done. It's, uh, the first time we came when we showed up at, like, 11.45, uh, when I saw the big hand and little hand touch on the clock, I was like, oh, crap, like, he's not joking. No, yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm pretty serious about the whole showing up at 12. We're like, now I'm getting, like, like, really swamped with, like, pre-orders to where, like, I don't, I, I don't even have a chance. Any, it, it's, it just got worse. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're going to talk about that rise in popularity, but uh, let's start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up? We're in this exact same neighborhood right here in Los Angeles, in Koreatown, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah, and uh, what was the food vibe like here growing up? What was your food vibe growing up? Really, I think the food vibe around here, or like in the house, was, has always been just like traditional Mexican food. Yeah? Yeah. Um, mom cook, dad cook, everyone cook? Just cooks? mom. Just mom? Yeah. What was their specialty? <laughs> uh, I think her thing was pozole. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. That was the one thing that I think she was like always. I, yeah, if I could say one thing that was was her dish, it would probably have to be the pozole. You know, um, especially in Los Angeles, more than a lot of cities in America, making food at home, selling it on the street, that has been a tradition that's been going on for a while. Um, how did that influence you? When did you start to notice that growing up? You know what? I, I didn't really notice it too much as a kid or even growing up. I think I just. I've seen a recent increase in it just within this year I think is when I actually you, it's it got, it's got very noticeable recently yeah I mean the quote unquote underground yeah part of the <laughs> underground uh, food scene is not so much underground with like social media and things like that yeah but Los Angeles has been pretty kind to people saying like okay here's my dish I'm gonna sell it on this corner I'll be here every day Yes and no. Yes and no? Yes and no, because I have seen, like, the same taco dude in the same spot for yeah. years. And then there's the times that you've seen, like, at least I have, you know, like, the fruit stand guys or, like, the corn guys or whatever getting their stuff confiscated or, or just thrown out. So it's like, I've, I've seen both sides. What do you think that the, I mean, what do you think makes it go one way or the other? Why do you think one guy gets to stay there for 30 years? Or enough to be like you, where you can uh, yell blue, co- blue corn tortilla lady, and she pops uh, up. Oh yeah, yeah. But like, what makes you think that uh, who gets to stay and who gets who gets kicked out? I don't know. That's a good question. I can't. I can't really. I, I've never really. I don't know why some people get. I guess get to slide and some don't. Yeah. It's it's, it's weird. I guess it's maybe. It just probably depends on maybe the law enforcement that's in the area or who they feel I'm picking on that day or I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. You're right. I don't know. It's hard to say. But I have seen that happen more to like the fruit guys. The huh. fruit guys or like the dudes that are selling like the raspados, the shaved ice. Yeah. Or the corn guys. It's mainly those guys that I've seen. I, wonder- I think only once. I'm sorry. No, only no. once I've actually seen a taco stand get confiscated. That's once. crazy. Just once. That's once. So that's what I mean for... For living here your entire life, that's not that's not too bad. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. So, um, grew up Mexican food, um, and you were also into uh, the lowrider scene too. Oh yeah, that's always been a part of me since I was a kid. Uh, how'd you get into that? What was that like? What was the food around that scene like? You know what? It's, I think it's the same because the, <laughs> ma- the majority of it is all minorities. It's honestly like the lowrider scene is mainly minority it's it's a lot of like african-american mexican or like latinos or whatever so it's like it that's so the food is pretty much the same so the food is either mexican yeah or i don't know like hamburgers hot dogs sure and and, i guess a mix of the african-american stuff like you got like maybe the soul food however you want to call it like chicken and stuff like that is that the first time you started having barbecue like ribs and chicken and things like that i started having barbecue or the, if I could think about the first barbecue spot I ever went to, yeah, was probably a place called the Barbecue King or the Real Barbecue King. It was on Temple by where the Orsini buildings are at now. Okay, and what year was this? I was like in middle school. This was probably like early two thousands. So like, 
early 2000s, the concept of L.A. barbecue was like Bloodsos. Or, I didn't even know about Bloodsos at the time. But, you know, but like very, it was like a, just not even really a thing. Yeah. It was it just wasn't. like, oh, here's a restaurant that does barbecue. Yeah. But did barbecue stick, did it hit then? Or like, what was your uh, journey into sort of barbecue and, sm- and smoked meats? Honestly, barbecue, the way how I kind of transitioned into it or how I started getting more into it was, I first started just like I had a regular like little Weber grill. So I would just grill steaks, like the typical, again, Mexican style. Sure. Like grilling. So you have like, you know, carne asada, you have chicken, the chorizos and stuff like that. And that's, so like was, a, that's more like a quick grilling, right? Yeah, it's more like of a, like, there's different terms in the, like, barbecuing or grilling. Like, some people say, oh, that's not barbecue. Or it's, if you want to get real nitpicky about it. But, if you want to be one of those people. Yeah, if you, yeah, but I'm not that guy. <laughs> so, it's like, that, that was pretty much what I started with. And then I think I transitioned. Like, one day I think I just said, oh, I'm going to do ribs. And then, like... I just did them. I'm like, wait, they didn't come out right. I'm like, there must be a better way to do it. And then mm. I was like, oh, well, there's barbecue. Let's see how they do it. It's like, no, I don't think they do them. And then you hear, like, people, well, the, they boil them and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, oh, God, no. I guess it's like a cardinal I've had, sin now. I've had that once. No, you do not want to do that. So, I had that once, and I was like, it's weird, because like it, it's like, yeah, I get some soft, but then they finish it on the grill. It's like a trick. Yeah. It's like sort of like a trick. You're like, oh, okay. No, it's not. So it's like, you don't, you don't want to do that, so... But how did you make that jump, though? Because obviously now that you have the smoker, the legendary Lucifer smoker, that is, if you, if you ever can't find <laughs> ragtime, you just look for the awesome smoker on the side yeah, street. It's, just, it's right there. You it's can't right, miss you it. You cannot miss it. But, like, how did you start making that transition from your classic Weber grill, like, working your way up to smoking? Well, it started with the same Weber grill, too. So I figured, okay, that's when I started looking into it. I'm like, okay, well, it's not cooked the same. You have to cook indirect mm. well, for the application I had yeah so then I started setting up that same Weber to cook indirect and I was like okay well let me do it like this I'm like okay you got to cook it for hours you have to cook this way you have to use wood and you have to check it every so often not not all the you know not like how when you're doing regular carne asada or whatever you're like flipping it every other minute or something uh, yeah, like that not, I mean I, I guess my question is in switching into that longer cooking time uh-huh um what made you want to devote that time? Because it, it it's like, it's a matter of like 30 minutes sometimes to three, six, 12 hours. Yeah. I I think it was because I started figuring out I liked that better. Yeah. And I liked it more. And then I was just, I, I'm very, when I do stuff, I have a very mechanically inclined approach to things. Does that go back to the cars and the yeah. culture? So it's like, I use the same concept or the same train of thought into that so it's all attention to detail so with that detail with that shift how long did it take from you to changing your barbecue game for other people start to notice that like oh shit Fernando is like doing something let's go to his place let's go eat I think it I was doing it for a while probably like like at least a good two years Prior to doing the setup I have now, yeah, and then for friends it and family, got, it got a uh, it got a little more serious and serious. And I think, I, if I were to say how long it took me to kind of get it the way I liked, I mean, you can never like get settled on one thing. I like to keep learning and learning, and I like how you could always do something better. Yeah, I, I I'm not like the traditionalist or whatever. Sure. To where like it, you do it one way and that's it. No. If you could do something better, why not? Mm-hmm. If you could switch something to that you think would work better for you, then why not? So I'm all for that. But I think it took me about a good two, three years. And I think I still learn every now and then. You always learn something new. Yeah, I mean, you know, arguably your best brisket is like the last one you cooked. Or your best, right? Like you're always improving, improving, yeah. improving. Um, now I know that you had something where you make your own improvements and you make your own... Your barbecue your own, but there is still a baseline of like smoked meat, cooked meat, the way how tender it is and things like that, right? Yeah. So it took you what a couple of years to feel comfortable about that. How did you let starting like the at home making it start shifting to more of like maybe I could sell this? It all started, I think, like that started when prior 
to when I had this set up with this smoker. I had a, a smaller smoker that my girlfriend gave me for my birthday once. Because my old Weber was already kind of like on its last leg. So it was I mean, they take before. a beating, right? Yeah. It takes a beating when it's and, that And hot. I was using it like every weekend. That's the thing. It was every weekend, every weekend, every weekend, every weekend. Every like spare minute I had, I was doing that. I was doing that. So it, it was it was wearing its... It was already showing already time that, yeah, it needed a new one. And my girlfriend bought me another one. So I started inviting friends. I'm like, hey, look, check this out. I'm doing this. And, you know, we started kind of like... I was using them like as guinea pigs. Yeah. To testing it out and doing all that. So they started telling me, hey, man, like, why don't, why don't you sell this stuff? Like, it's pretty good. Like, you should probably sell it. Yeah. I was like, no, no. Like, I don't want to sell it. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't care to do that. Like, yeah. it's not my thing. I don't want to. And eventually, I guess they, they suckered me into it. And I finally said, okay, I'll do it. Why not? All right. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break. We're going to talk about those early days. And then I would say the rise into you being one of the faces of the underground barbecue scene here in L.A. Uh, we have a musical track coming up from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm with Fernando Carrillo at the, I would say, on its way to be legendary underground barbecue, uh, ragtop firm barbecue in Los Angeles. In we could say Koreatown. 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 Yeah, you can say safe. It's Koreatown. Koreatown. Not the barbecue you think of when you think of Koreatown, but its own. It just happens to be barbecue that's in Koreatown. Yeah. So, early days, getting started. Um, you know, your friends been getting barbecue for free, and they're like, "Oh, people should pay for this." Were they like, "Oh, wait, you want me to pay for this too now?" Or <laughs> like, how did you get your first customers? The first customers. Uh, it was just, once they kind of put that in my head that I should sell it and I should sell it, I was like, okay, okay cool. So I just, I, same setup, outside my place mm -hmm. and everything. And I would literally, anybody that passed by, like, hey, I'm selling barbecue, hey, I'm selling barbecue. I was waving down everybody and anybody that was passing by. You got like, the sandwich board, you're out of the corner. No, no, I was literally out front, anybody that passed by, hey, you want to buy some barbecue? Hey, you want to buy barbecue? Hey, you want to buy, anybody that passed by. That's how I started off. And how did that go? I had a few people that would stop and were like, oh, okay, cool, let me try it. Or like neighbors that were just like, oh, okay, well, we'll support you. We'll, we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get some of your stuff. And then I had people that were like, oh, no, I don't eat meat or, oh, I'm vegan. Oh, I'm vegetarian because I have a lot of... Oh, uh, yeah, well, you're in LA. You're, yeah. Everyone's got a lot of veggie yeah. vegan. So I had a lot of those. So I was just like, all right, cool, whatever. But it, it, it literally started off waving down and flagging down everybody. They passed by if they wanted to buy barbecue. Um, how soon did you get up on social media? The social media thing, I think, blew up once I started getting, like, my circle of friends over, and they were taking pictures, and they were sharing it, and then it just started, it, it just, like, snowballed effect after that. They would share, and then other people would share, and then we would invite more friends over. It was just a circle of friends that started sharing, and that's how it got to where it's at. Um, what was the first big tipping point, or talk about that first day when you realized something was happening outside of your friends, or you waving people down? I think that started when, when Eater, when Eater LA did the... Farley? Yeah. Shout out to Farley. Good <laughs> old Farley. Yeah, when That he guy did... has got a nose yeah. and an eye like no other. When, when he came down, you know, we, we chatted and we hung out and everything, and then... And did he, he did, hear about it through Instagram? I think so. Yeah. I think so, and then he was living in the area at the time, so he's like, hey, you're in the area, I heard about you, and here I am. And then he posted, and, like, what was that day, what was the first day of service, like, after it went up on Eater? It's funny, because I didn't even know it was up online. Right. And then I don't know where I get all these notifications and messages, and my phone is, like, blowing up, like, there's no tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm just like, what the hell's going on? And then they're like, oh, yeah, we saw your article. I'm like, article. in my head, like, what article are you talking about? And then Farley's like, oh, yeah. I made an article, it published her, and it's out. I was like, okay, yeah, that explains why. Yeah, dude, next time, head, I'm so appreciative. <laughs> Give me a heads up next time. Need to buy a few more ribs. And so then what's, what has it been like? Because obviously then that snowballs. I mean, that's, you know, arguably yeah. how I first heard about it. Um, how does that then change your service and your approach to it? Well, I didn't have to wave down anybody anymore. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> they came, they, they all just showed up here I didn't have to and hey you guys want to and it went from doing like four ribs a, like a weekend or whatever to like more than that including briskets and pork shoulders and the chorizos and all kinds of stuff it I pretty much fill that thing up to capacity every weekend I mean you're at the point now where you could probably get another smoker right I I probably should you probably should so what is that like and I know we said, like, quote-unquote, underground. Uh -huh. um, and I guess technically it is not in a restaurant, but you're pretty well-known now, right? Yeah. If someone were to say, uh, list, like, the top five barbecue places in L.A., yeah. there's a good chance that your name's going to come up. Oh, there is. So a, I think Eater has a list out. Yeah. They just recently revamped the list. Yeah. And I'm on that list. I think yeah. I'm on the top, like, five or something. Exactly. So what's it like to go... I mean, what are the struggles? What is, I mean, obviously the success is you can sell your meat, you can get on a smoker, but like, what are some of the struggles that come with that? The fact that the beginning, like at the beginning stages of it, you were just like, damn, like nobody's buying this. Yeah. Like, like it seemed like a good idea at the time. You're like, well, I, could, you know, I don't see how I could not sell this. Yeah. 
and then you're just sitting there and you're sitting there and no one shows up and then there was times that literally nobody would buy anything and but now now it's just like I can't even keep up with the amount of people that that message me or contact me t- contact me that they want to get some stuff I mean is that tough though because you want everyone to have your food I want I want everybody to try it I would like for everybody to try it but it's hard to really you know accommodate everyone it really is I mean, are people... I mean, the good thing about this type of food and sort of barbecue culture is that everyone knows there's a limited amount. Yeah. And it's sort of on them to get here. Yeah. Um, so are people pretty understanding if they get there and there's nothing available? Well, yeah. Yeah, they're actually, like, super cool about it. Like, I'll, I'll straight up tell them, like, hey, I'm sorry I sold out. Or I'll tell them, like, hey, you know, I got a list. You know, let me go in order, like, as in a timely fashion that I can, you know, like, I don't want to undercut anybody, so I figured, you know, this person messaged me first, so I try to go as orderly as possible, and, you know, I tell them, hey, sorry, you know, someone else just literally bought this, or, bought, or I'm sold out of everything, so I try to really accommodate everyone as, as much as I could. So, what advice do you wish you had had starting out, or that you would want to give to somebody who says, and not necessarily barbecue, but I want to do underground breakfast sandwiches, something like that. If I want to open up my house, I don't have people over, I'm going to start that way. What advice would you give them? Or what be, advice? Patient. be patient. <laughs> be patient. Patience, I think, is key. Patience, I think, you have to be very patient to do barbecue. Yeah. Because it's pretty much like a waiting game. So, that being said, you have to be very patient after with what you have and if people would, would be able to, you know, get it or not. So I think if, if you're just understanding that you're not going to strike it big right away, you're going to have to start off slow. You're going to have to work your way up. And, you know, I, I think that's honestly how the only thing I would say probably as far as advice, just if they're going to do something or if they want to do like something like that, go ahead and do it, but be patient. That's the one thing I would say. So now that you have publicity and you're on making the top list and people come over the next, what do you start thinking about when it comes to the future? Like, what do you start thinking next? And is there a reality verse, like, lay, you know, dreaming over a couple of beers or things like that where you're like, you know, ragtop fern every corner of America and every state, or like what's, you know, or like what's, what do you really think you want to do? Honestly, I wouldn't want to have like that whole on every corner type of deal. Yeah? I, I, I like what I have. I'm happy with it. I don't want to have like a rag top ferns in every state and every city and all that. I like to do it like this because I, I have control over everything. Mm-hmm. I could keep quality the way I like it. Yeah. Because once you start going big like that, restaurants and all that, it's it's hard. You can't. It's impossible. You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, that's why when you look at a lot of the people down in Texas or a lot of the barbecue places, there's one spot. Yeah. And then any place that isn't, like, it's an offshoot usually isn't as good. Yeah. So, I think the only thing, I mean, I wouldn't quit my job. I, I mean, like I said, I do this for fun. Yeah. I don't do it because... You know, I want to be the next barbecue sensation, you know. But well, that may not be up to you. Okay. <laughs> that may not be up to okay, you. Okay, well, this was this was like a, a an after effect of it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, a little notoriety is always good. Yeah, but it never hurts. It never, never hurts. hurt anybody, but, you know, it's I don't do it for the popularity. It's not like, you know, I, it just... It happened. Yeah. I didn't I didn't expect it to get like this. It just happened, but I want to do it just to where it's still for fun. Maybe expand a little more like maybe like a trailer. Maybe Yeah. A truck would probably like a full-blown probably lunch truck would probably be much too yeah. much. I think maybe a mobile trailer so that you could go do events, do catering. Yeah, just anything. different events or just maybe stick to catering. I don't know. I really don't I want to do it to where I still have fun. I don't want to get frust- frustrated with it or, or to where it burns me out and I yeah. lose it and I, you lose that no, but drive to do it anymore. It's nice to see every once in a while when you're like, I got a low rider convention on a Sunday. You, you guys are out of luck. You yeah. know? It's like, and it's good to know that you can have that freedom still. 
And then people are like, ah, oh, damn, all right, next weekend. Now, um, with this community getting bigger and bigger, and as you said, you feel like in the last year it's been this crazy amount of uh, more people getting this, in this game. What's the community like? Do you guys all know each other? Like, are you guys all friendly? Or is it like a healthy competition between the different underground barbecue I, places? I think it's a little bit of both. I yeah. feel like we, we all communicate. We're all friends. Yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's... it's 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 competitive like everyone it's it's, it's barbecue yeah, barbecue's but, always been competitive yeah. so there's there's a little bit of that competitiveness in there yeah yeah it's nice when you see you're like oh my name's above you okay, okay yeah okay um and so finally you know you cook the brisket you cook the ribs you cook chorizo what is your favorite why ribs yeah i think i don't know i'm a pork person I love yeah pork. like brisket and beef ribs and all that chorizo, they're all good but I love pork. Pork is like my thing. Awesome. Well, congratulations. This is so awesome that you're doing this. A lot of people talk about doing it, and you're actually doing it. Yeah. Uh, if people want to come find you, if people want to, in real life and online, where can they go? Uh, through Instagram. Instagram's the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm and, always on that. And what's the handle? It's Ragtoffrance Barbecue. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank you for making our Saturdays and Sundays. So smoky meat field. <laughs> I try. Uh, we have a track from the archives coming up, and then a live performance next on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network org. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, 
wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. Welcome back. We have Grimstreaker live in studio. Welcome to the show, all five of you. Hello. Hello. Uh, hey. There's what a up? very appropriate Grim Reaper eating pizza t-shirt that is made. Does it say pie till I die? Yeah, it does. Oh, my God. So that actually might, might be the most relevant t-shirt in the entire eight <laughs> years that have happened. Yeah. So yep. thanks for coming. It's really great to see all of you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Do you want to maybe go around the room since there's a, a myriad of you and introduce yourselves? Shout it out. I'm Bill. I play bass. I'm Pial. I play drums. Dan. I'm on guitar. Amelia. A shriek. Micah. Guitar. And I know the two of you yeah. from all over the years, which yeah. is always rad, so good to see you two again. You too. And whatever incar- incarnation it is of music. Uh, how did you form as this amazing group of musicians? We met on Craigslist. As one does. The adult personal section. Yeah, of exactly. course. <laughs> exactly. It's a trick question because I already knew that. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're, uh, we're all from various bands that sort of came together. What's yeah, your story? Yeah, mostly through like just the local music community. Yeah. Uh, Bill and Micah were doing a music video for my other band. and then uh, Which band was that? Uh, Dino Walrus. Um, and then me and P.L. used to play in another like kind of power pop punk band a couple years ago too and you know we just kind of all started throwing this together a little drunkenly and yeah. then uh and then we grabbed amelia well i um, got really jealous <laughs> I was like, yeah i want to be in a, ba- in a new band and uh, dan was like okay well you can like audition i guess <laughs> did you oh did you really have to audition yeah kind of yeah how did that go? What did you have to sing? Oh, I, I nailed it. No, I'm just, obviously, because you're standing <laughs> it, here. But it was like train of thought, just like yelling. <laughs> it wasn't like, much. I'm going to be performing Susie and the Banshees for you today. <laughs> no, I literally... <laughs> should have cool. made her do I that, I would be though. totally into that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah no, we just bonded over a love of like 70s and 80s punk, hardcore, and... Not, there's not a ton of bands in this particular scene that do this. So, yeah, I mean, the, the sound is really interesting because there's this, you know, there's the '80s stuff, and then there's also the '70s that come from New York and DC and LA. How did you decide to take arguably the best elements of it and and merge it together, and not also while sounding like you're just kind of playing on the past? Sure. I mean, I think I think it's just like having a a broad spectrum of influences and just feeling like there's certain thing like certain things that I'm not really seeing in, like, music today. Um, the other thing, too, is, like, I, I'm from L.A., so I I started to feel, like, after being here a few years, like, a little nostalgia for, like, uh, certain parts of, like, um, just, like, surf and skate culture from, like, from there, but it's obviously, like, non-existent nowadays. So, like, trying to bring that back into, like, music or something creative that I'm doing. Um, and then I think, like, each of us have, like, our own, like, specific, like, influence or, like, thing that kind of twists it just, like, a little bit further and then just, I feel like, just ends up being whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, Who were some of the bands that you brought to the table as reference points when you were writing your first round of songs? Um, I'd probably say, like, when we were just even talking about being a band, I was like... Um, Let's do something like Black Flag. Yeah, Adolescence. Um, Adolescence yeah. and, like, the Dead Kennedys. The Dead Boys. Yeah, and, like, yeah, maybe, like, from the 70s stuff, like, the Dead Boys for sure. Yeah. Um, and then when I joined, it was, like, X. And yeah, then, definitely like, X. Carano, kind of, yeah. like, early Carano. X-Ray Specs, like, Slits, yeah. like, even White Lung, like, more modern stuff. Definitely, so like, a lot, of, yeah. a lot of... Yeah, like, modern stuff, I feel like I really love... Like, a lot of us love, like, A Place to Bury Strangers or, like, kind of bands like that. And then I, I definitely, like, from my other band, have a lot of, like, and Amelia, too, like, shoegaze influences and stuff like that. Like, which, it's not, like, super apparent, but I think, like, with a couple things, we, like, try to, like... Flourishes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always but, interesting when you find bands that are, like, oh, yeah, I'm into, like, Latin jazz... Yeah, the hardcore yeah. band and then you're like oh actually you know what I can kind of hear that now that you say it it's like buried super deep but yeah. like the intentions and the emotions that come through that music 
that otherwise are not in any of the bands that, that, that reference it that kind of come in. You can actually hear it. And, and de definitely during soundcheck, I heard so much shoegaze stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just looked at my feet the entire time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I have to do that yeah. every moment. Want yeah, to do that while also like moshing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, that's that's the most difficult part is like trying to shoegaze and then like move around and like jump around like a punk band. It's impossible. This shit. You breaks can't go too far from your pedals, man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the Cash creative that's the creative constraints that we give ourselves to make new art. Right. Can we hear a song? Yeah. What are you going to play for us first? Our shoegaze hit, Tina's. Yeah. <laughs> about, a, about a local restaurant. Tina's is about, yeah, local diner. Dan. Um, local diner just around uh, the corner from Roberta's uh, called Tina's, which is you'll never see open unless you're out and about at like 3 a.m. Perfect. Well, here we are with Grim Streaker live on Snacky Tunes. I think most of our, I think most of our listeners would be surprised to know that you put out an EP this summer that was four songs and clocking in under ten, 10 minutes. <laughs> I think they would be shocked, shocked at that. How did Girl Minority come to pass? Uh, where did you record it? What's the story? We recorded it at a Diamond City studio with Ayad Alarami, uh, really and great, Joel and Joel Woodmer. Uh, Two great, uh, great producers and now buddy, super good buddies of ours. Yeah, Diamond City Studios is an amazing space. We tracked live, did it in what a week. Yeah. And what was the writing process? I mean, you guys are not a particularly old. Um, you're new. You're yeah. new as a group. Yeah, definitely. So, what did the process come? Was it? I don't want to say stream of concerts, but was it written in studio? Were you prepped before? Did it kind of come together in there? 
Oh, we definitely had like all of that done before. I think, you know, our first like spurt of like writing music, we wrote a lot of songs and it was just about like patience with like putting out a single, seeing like where it lands and then like trying to work on something small, like an EP. Um, yeah, and then just, like, going for it. Yeah, songs really usually start with a riff someone brings to the table, and then Amelia just sort of figures out something to put over it, and then we attach it all. And... Yeah, but I think the record is uh, is pretty close to what we do live. I think that was one of the goals. Yeah. I mean, that's always the, the most disappointing thing when you see a band that just rips live. And then you get their record, and you go, "What? What happened?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like, I know. I remember uh, this is not the case anymore. But when I saw the gossip years ago, it took them like a few records to kind of figure out how yeah. to get the live sound. It, yeah, I remember. Yeah. It sounded very like sort of processed and clean. Yeah, yeah. And then they did right. movement. But I remember seeing them. I was like, bought the record. I was like, I'm so excited, and I was so disappointed. Yeah. Uh. And so, um, what do you feel that you did in there, or what did your producers do that was able to kind of capture the the live sound besides just tracking live? Uh, I mean, Ayad's great at just, like, sound in general, and his energy in the studio really, like, encourages us to go a little crazier. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, when I was recording vocals, I was really jumping around the room. Yeah. As I would live, so he it also- was, like, it, instead of having, like, a mic in front of me, he was like, you, you have to have a handheld mic. And so I had a handheld mic and was just jumping around. So it was yeah. very much, like, as we do live. Yeah. So that really helped to kind of get in the same. He also like, made us play songs faster just for the hell of it. He was like, you're going to play this faster whether you like it or not. Just for fun. And no, then we'd get amped up and it would like reflect in the sound, which I thought was, yeah. was cool. They also uh, mix and produce in lab coats. Yeah, that, yeah, that was... No way. Yeah. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. How professional lab coat are we talking about here? They look like... Very. Like it was very scientific. Surgery. Pristine. Yeah. <laughs> like we're here to take a specimen. Yeah. Oh, really? I'll take that appendix if you don't need it. Uh, do they have their names on the lab coats? That's a good question. No, but that would be a nice Christmas present to them. Yeah, that's like the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. They should turn this off now or stop listening. <laughs> so you can all surprise Noted. Them. Can we hear another song? Yeah. yeah. What are you yeah, going to play sure. for us? Our first single. Oh. Do Gots. tell. <laughs> so back in January, we put out, we only had one song as a band, but we knew it was like the beginning of something. Did you, when you wrote that first song, I mean, from time to time, bands will be like, they'll just write that first song, like, yeah, this is something. Did, was it, did it come from the rift, or did it have to get all put together for you to know, or like, was it from first, was it love at first rift? That one was pretty much, yeah, love at first rift. It was totally spontaneous, actually. Like, it wasn't like someone came to this, like, practice or something and brought it. Me, Micah, and Bill just got really drunk and then just wrote that thing, <laughs> yeah. like, randomly. And then and Amelia then came Amelia in, and came in unprepared and, like, wrote it all I don't know what the words even were coming out of my mouth, and they just came out, and then that was a song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the first song we ever wrote, so Guts. that was super spontaneous. Perfect. What's it called? Guts. Guts. All right, here we go, Guts, live on Snacky Tunes. <laughs>
You guys just put out another single called Kiss on Glass Note, which is super rad. How did that come about? And it's a really amazing comp as well for emerging NYC bands, right? Oh my god, I love that comp. I love so many of the so many of those bands. Petite League, Your Dog, Plain Thick. Dog, yeah. Thick. Your Dog and Plain Dog? Yeah. Two Dogs. Oh, Thick. Two Dogs. Yeah. Thick An- is rad. Annie Hart, who was on right before, was like, you have to get Thick on. Yeah, they're yeah. Awesome. yeah, they're awesome. They're to. good friends of ours. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. dope. We'll trade emails. Yeah. yeah, great. How did that come about, or how did you get approached by Glassnote for it? A super shady Facebook message. No way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, how I thought did it was like a scam, you know? It's like you Nigerian send a, you, Prince like, You send us one you? song, yeah. we'll give you a record, record contract. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. what was so shady about it? I don't know. You know, most of your Facebook messages are like usually a lot of spam anyways. Right. So, um, also, like, hitting up through Facebook, like, I definitely found you guys through email, and I also know you, but, like, email better than Facebook? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that too. It's like, it's not like we're hiding our email address, so. You actually wouldn't believe um, how many bands make it really difficult to get a hold of them. Yeah. That should not make it so difficult, as yeah. a word of uh, advice. Bands in nature just don't know to check right emails and correspondence <laughs> yeah fair, okay fair point so how did it come about and you know did you was it a song that you had on hold or did you record it specifically for the comp well i mean we had it in our in our live set but yeah. we hadn't really recorded it yet so this was a perfect opportunity to uh give them something that wasn't on the ep yeah basically we were considering putting something from the ep on it but just given like the timeline and stuff we ended up just deciding like we wanted to put this out anyways and seemed like a good standalone single so like a couple days before it was like due we just like went into the studio one night and just like played to like 3 a.m and like tracked it yeah um all in one yeah there you go perfect uh and speaking of more recording you're working on a full length that's going to come out maybe end of this year early next year definitely next year definitely yeah. next year we're still writing <laughs> still yeah. right and what's the process um is it still just like rift or is it like a ball from the ep or or especially i know you work a lot of your stuff into your live sets as well hmm. yeah think. yeah definitely i i think um you know we're starting to like actually create like more cohesion around like what we're doing and make it a little bit yeah. slightly more conceptual I mean as as you can't like as much as you can be for a punk band yeah I think <laughs> we've realized that like the post-punk thing is a good fit for us sometimes like going between hardcore post-punk a little bit of like yeah yeah it's, nothing wrong with little melody yeah yeah it's to like find the common ground between yeah. we're kind of trying to progress a little bit too yeah. with our sound like even though it's obviously we only have been around for a short amount of time but like evolving from like that starting point we were talking about and kind of integrating some other influences too like maybe yeah like more post-punk yeah. stuff like have, sonic youth and like a song in the works it's got like a television vibe and then it gets really fast <laughs> yeah. and also the yeah. more also the more we write i feel more inspired to go to other shows and to then get even further inspired by other bands that are playing and come back to the practice space and yeah. try out new things and it's yeah, I just honestly like it's just really enjoyable being in this band. Oh, little love fest. Yeah. I mean, it's also great just to be influenced <laughs> by your peers. I mean, that was so great about the late '70s in New York City is that yeah. they were all just watching each other and then super into each other and then trying yeah. to not beat each other or best yeah. each other, but a healthy exactly. competition. Like, everyone was so creative and experimental. They were yeah. like, "There's no limits. Let's just do what we feels right." Yeah, yeah, we'll just make something new. Yeah, yeah, like, we like that. We'll just. Do something else. And then it became formulaic later on. But. Yeah. yeah, and then you gotta then you gotta break the mold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then we'll go pop. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we probably will. Uh, <laughs> you have a few shows coming up too. Some of them are super exciting. Yeah, we got a rough trade, rough trade mono gold release on Saturday the twenty third. Then we're, I mean, yeah, I know we're Bill and Dan. playing with the vibrators. Yeah, I mean, are you dying a little bit yeah, inside? Yeah, we, grew up, a little we bit. grew up listening to those guys. You know, teenage like seventies punk favorites. Will you be on the side of the stage or in the pit? No. I don't I know mean, if the vibrator's going to have much Yeah, I think they're a little too power poppy <laughs> yeah. for a pit, especially yeah. for how many, I'm guessing, like, older people will be there, yeah. too. But You, you never know. You know it could yeah. be, like, the one I night might, that, I like, might throw my bra on stage. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But you never know. It could be the night that, like, dad gets back in there. Oh, yeah, I hope true. so. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, if we can win over some dads who were there back in the day, mission dad. accomplished. Like, yeah. my <laughs> my cousin is definitely at Riot Fest right now watching, like, Jawbreaker oh, and, yeah. and yeah. all oh, this yeah. stuff, and he is having his best yes. weekend <laughs> ever. We he went last year for the Misfits reunion. Yeah. He's, like... 
He's all dads. Just yeah. got rid of the kids, uh-huh. went to Chicago, and is just living, <laughs> just living his uh, his best weekend. And we'll pull on that for many, many, many moons to come. Nothing totally. wrong with that. Uh, I want to make sure we have one more song from your canon, if you will. Uh, but where can people find you? Get the EP. Hear uh, new stuff. You can get it on Bandcamp, Grimstreaker, <laughs> Grimstreaker.bandcamp.com. We have uh, it on digital and then also Tapes. on tape. There's about like, we did a limited run of like 100 and there's a little less than like 40 left. So you can grab one for like six bucks. Get on it. Love Bandcamp. Yeah. Or just come to the show. Oh, yeah. even better. Or come yeah. find us at Roberta's in 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even, yeah. <laughs> even better. Uh, well, thank you for being on here. Big shout out to my brother out there on the West Coast. Uh, what are you going to take us out with? A new song. Babysitter. A new song? A new oh, yeah. Song. Oh. Yeah, this one's good. Babysitter. Well, thank you for listening, and we will be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.